Good morning, y'all. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. My name is Seth Rodebeck. I'm an elder here, and I just want to welcome you. I want you guys to know that you are welcome in this church. No matter your sin this week, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter your anxiety, your fear, your pride, whatever it is, no matter what you have been through this week, you are welcome here. We come together as a church every week to remember this amazing, vast love we were just singing about to remember that we have received the grace of Jesus Christ and we come here knowing that no matter what we've done this week, you are no greater or no less in the eyes of God because of Jesus Christ. So as we come together here today, let's just remember that. Let's sing about that. Let's worship him for that. And I want to read this scripture over you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, we thank you for this amazing promise that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And I pray that as we come in to worship you, we would remember what you have done that you have called us out of darkness into light, not because of who we are, but because of your incredible glory and mercy and grace, and you desired to love us. So Lord, let us worship you with our hearts today and be reminded of the incredible grace that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
may be seated. Lord, we praise you. We just declare that hallelujah. You are great. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are powerful. There is none like you, Lord. And we come to you as as your bride purchased at a cost. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for the truth that nothing can separate us from your love, Lord. Thank you for saving. And Lord, I pray that we would just rest in that truth this morning. 
I pray that it would permeate every part of our lives and that as we are gripped by the awe and wonder of your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy, that we would in turn just serve you with all that we are. Lord, we confess that our hearts have loved things more than you this week. Have mercy, God. We ask your forgiveness, Lord. And we pray that you would turn our hearts back to you. That we would see that you are all satisfying. That you give us all that we need. That you meet us right where we are and you draw us into your presence. Lord, thank you. We just worship you for that. And I pray that we would walk in the victory that you have given us. And Lord, this week I want to lift up another church in town. We pray for Capitol Heights Baptist this morning and Russell's Werner, the pastor over there. Lord, we pray that you would bless them. We pray that the, that the gospel would be faithfully proclaimed there today. That their people would similarly be gripped by your love, by the wonder of it. And that they would turn and that they would follow you with their whole hearts, Lord. We pray that you would bless that congregation. Guard them, grow them, protect them, Lord. Lord, we pray for Taylor and Sarah Fox as they're continuing to minister so faithfully over in France, Lord. We just pray that you would give them everything they need, that you would comfort them, that you would be with them, that you would provide for them. Lord, we just pray you would give them direction and discernment and wisdom, that you would bring much fruit as a result of their ministry, their faithful ministry over there to the people of France, Lord. We just pray you'd watch over them. Lord, we pray for the offering that has been given today, that has been given throughout the week. Lord, we thank you that you invite us in to give unto you in such a real practical way. And I pray that we would engage in that act of worship, that, that act of declaring our dependence upon you, that you are the one that give us all things, even the ability to produce wealth. And so, Lord, we want to worship you and praise you by giving unto you. And I pray that we would use that money faithfully here at this church to further your gospel, to further your kingdom. And finally, Lord, we pray for Grady this morning as he gets ready to come and to share the word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for a pastor that faithfully studies your word and that proclaims it to us each and every week. And I pray that we would, with great anticipation, hear your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use that word to illuminate the sin in our lives, that it would draw us to the foot of the cross, and that we would leave this place changed as a result of your word, Lord. We thank you for the gift of it. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this church. We just thank you, Lord. You are so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Fourth grade, you are dismissed to kids' worship. If you're visiting with us, the first to fourth graders get a lesson. They've got Miss Jennifer and Mr. Tom today. First to fourth graders can head with them. And parents, after the end of the service, you'll go to the gym building to the blue hallway to pick them up. Jennifer, you got a big group. Have fun. You got a big smile. You're ready for it. Well, the kids are going, if you'll find 1 Peter chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word, you heard me right. We have finished chapter 1. It only took us three months to get through chapter 1. We are starting chapter 2 of 1 Peter this morning. Now, as you're finding 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to ask you, do you, think back to your own childhood. Do you remember as a child wanting to grow up? 
You know, I love watching kids play, whether it's their creativity and, and, and dressing up and pretending to be doctors or policemen or soldiers, but watching them pretend to grow up and what that would be like. I love watching the kids on the drive with their toy cars racing down the driveway, imagining what it'll be like to drive a car one day. There seems to be in children this innate desire to want to grow, especially when they realize all the cool things they get to do when they get one inch taller, one year older. God made us to grow up. He made us to grow up physically. He made us to grow up mentally. He made us to grow up emotionally. He made us to mature in life. And there's a problem if we don't, right? Some of you guys may have seen, it's an old, old movie, but the movie, the Disney movie, Peter Pan. Do you remember the premise of Peter Pan that you have this guy named Peter who did not want to grow up? He wanted to be a kid forever, and he got around him a group of other kids who did not want to grow up, and they were the lost boys. And you know the results of that. As a name indicates, they got what they wanted, and it was not exactly ideal on that. The idea of not growing up gets pushed on us. Now, I'm dating myself here back to the 80s, but those of you who lived during the 80s or grew up during the 80s, do you remember the Toys R Us commercial? I know Jason back there remembers that when I see him smiling and nodding. Do you remember the Toys R Us commercial? I don't want to grow up. Because, baby, if I did, I wouldn't be a Toys R Us kid. I still find myself years later humming that. We got pushed from the culture, this idea of not wanting to grow up. And if you look at the culture, tragically, many got what they wanted in that. There's many people who are physical adults, but they have the priorities and focus of children. They're still lost in their immature, selfish ways, not serving their families, not serving their communities, not serving their churches. And just like in Peter Pan, this one is real, and the results are far from ideal, and they're very tragic. Because we're made to grow up, we're made to mature in life, and if we do not, there's a problem. But in the church, friends, God has made us to grow up spiritually, and there's a tragically in our culture many who claim the name of Christ who never grew up spiritually. If you will, they're kind of the Toys R Us kids of the church, or they're the Peter Pans of the church today. They claim the name of Christ, but they're content where they are spiritually in life. Their lives have kind of the spiritual model, I don't want to grow up. I prayed a prayer, I'm going to heaven one day, I'm okay, why bother, why change? Friends, that's not a new problem because that's a human nature problem. And Peter's going to address that here, not Peter Pan, but the Apostle Peter here, in chapter 2 here as he begins chapter 2. And he's going to show us the need to grow up spiritually. He's going to show us the necessity of us maturing spiritually in life. But he's not just going to say grow up spiritually. He's going to show us how we grow up spiritually. So we're going to tackle the first three verses of chapter 2 this morning. And as we read chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, be looking for the need to grow up spiritually, but also be looking for how. How do we mature spiritually in this life? So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, and we'll also have the words on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Would you pray with me? Father, we just pray, as already been prayed, that you would give us insight into your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to understand this text today, that God, you give us conviction where we need conviction, encouragement where we need encouragement, and that you use your word today, Lord, to shape us more into who you desire for us to be. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, to understand this text, let's start here with God's will for us, God's plan for us. People are all obsessed about what is God's will for my life? Well, God has shown us what his will is for our life. And what is it? Look at verse 2 and notice the last phrase. Like newborn infants, 
Long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, here it is. Here's God's will for me, God's will for you, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That if you are a follower of Christ, God's will for your life is that you would be growing up into your salvation, that you'd be maturing in your salvation. Now, what does Peter mean by this? And let me just remind us of what we've seen throughout this letter. When Peter talks about salvation, when we talk about salvation, there's three different parts of it. A lot of times we talk about the past tense, what God has already done for us, our justification, where God has declared us righteous, not because of anything we have done. That's the beginning of our salvation. But Peter in this book loves the future aspect of our salvation, what's still to come, glorification. When we see God face to face, when we get resurrection bodies, when we're free from the presence of sin forever, he loves focusing us on the culmination of our salvation. That's what a lot of First Peter, when he talks about salvation, is about. But here he's talking about that in-between, that in-between time between our justification and our glorification, that process from when we are first trusting in Christ to when we see him face-to-face, this process of growing or maturing in our salvation, what we call sanctification. That's what we see here at the end of verse 2, that we may grow up into salvation. Now, to understand that, that raises two questions for us. First of all, what are we to be growing in And then how do we grow? So what are we to be growing in and how do we grow? Let's start with the first. What are we to be growing in? When we're growing up into salvation, what does that mean? I believe it includes two things. First, it's growing in the knowledge of God. It is growing in the knowledge of God. A person with true salvation, with true belief, is a person who will be growing in their understanding of God. Now, Peter's going to show us this. Look at 2 Peter 3, verse 18. We have that up there for you. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, God's will for you is for you to not be content with your knowledge of God. And Greg showed us this so beautifully last week. There's so much more to the gospel than we can comprehend. We're to be growing in our knowledge of who God is. Let me remind us, we've seen it before. When we talk about the knowledge of God in Scripture, that's not just intellectual We're learning about who God is so that we can know God relationally, so we can know him personally. God's will is for us to be growing in the knowledge of who he is so we can grow in a relationship with him and in knowing him personally. So the first part of growing into our salvation is growing in the knowledge of God. So here's a practical question I want you to think about. How has your knowledge of God grown this past year? If you were to pause and think of the last 12 months, do you know more about God than you did at the start of this year? And can you say, I know God more. I have a deeper relationship with God because I know more of who he is. Can you say your knowledge of God is growing? That's only one part of what it means to grow into salvation. The second part of growing in salvation is growing in practical holiness. It is growing in practical holiness holiness. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. In Colossians 1:10, we're told to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Friends, as we increase in the knowledge of God and see more of who he is and more of his character and more of his nature, as we see more of his will for our life, as we know him more personally and experience walking with him, it changes how we walk. It changes how we live. And so one evidence of us growing in salvation is a growth in practical holiness of us looking more and more like Christ. Not to get to God, but because we already know him. When we are justified, God declares us holy and righteous. 
Not because of anything we've done, because he takes our sin, puts it on Christ, takes all of Christ's righteousness and holiness and applies it to us. And so we are now standing before God practically or, or positionally holy. Now he says, as you grow in salvation, practically live out who I already say you are. That's what Peter already told us. We saw back in chapter 1, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so growing in salvation is growing in the knowledge of God, who he is, understanding him, growing in that relationship with him, but it's also growing in practical holiness. It's growing in living out what we say we believe. So again, a question for all of us this morning. How has our practical holiness grown in the past year? Are there sin strongholds in your life that you can say, by the grace of God, he has broken in my life this year? Are there areas of Christ-like righteousness you can look at and say, by God's grace, I am different than I was, and I am now acting more like Christ because of what he has done in me? Can you say you're growing in your salvation this year and the knowledge of God and in knowing him personally and in now living out the practical holiness he has called us to do? This is God's will for our life. Go back to verse 2 of our text this morning. That by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, there's an important part of this phrase we must not miss. In the Greek language in which this was originally written, the tense here for grow up, this is the passive tense. That means we can't do it. That means it has to be done for us. Anytime in the Greek you see a passive word, it's something that has to be done for another. So we're kind of in a bit of a quandary here, right? God's will is for us to grow up in our salvation, but even the way he phrased it for us, you and I cannot manufacture that on our own. I cannot manufacture growth in my life, and you cannot manufacture growth in your life. We can't just white-knuckle determination, try harder, grit our teeth, hang on, and get more holy and know God more. It's not going to happen. Our growth in salvation is not going to be something we can produce ourselves. Well, think about it from a, a parenting standpoint. What happens if a kid tries to grow up on their own with no parental direction? Can you think back to the movie Peter Pan or think back to even testimonies we have heard here of some of you who grew up without involved parents in your life. Someone who tries to have self-directed growth, who just says, hey, this is my life, my path, I'm going to live it the way I want to do, they end up with many struggles in life because self-directed, self-effort growth does not work. And in the church, there are many people who claim to be Christians, but instead of letting God grow them, they've tried to grow themselves, and so they have a God of their own imagination where they picked and choose what they want to believe, or they have a lifestyle that looks just like the world because they've ignored God's will for those areas of their life they didn't want God to touch and have chosen what they think maturity looks like. And so you end up today in a world where you either have a bunch of Peter Pan Christians who've said, I don't want to grow up and I don't care, or a bunch of Christians who said, oh, I've grown up, but it's going to look this way for my life, but neither of those are God's will for us. So if, the, if, the, if God's will is for us to grow in our knowledge of him, to grow in our holiness, but we can't manufacture it, how then do we grow? How do we grow if we can't make it happen ourselves? Well, the answer is still here in verse 2, and there's only one command in these verses. In verses 1, 2, and 3, there's only one command. It's not grow up into salvation. That's telling us the result of obeying the command, what God produces in us as we obey what he tells us. It's not verse 1, put away all malice. That's not the command either. That's a participle that shows how our lives change. There's only one command in these three verses. It's the beginning of verse 2, long for pure spiritual milk. 
In all three verses, the only imperative, the only command has to do with our longings and our desires. God says, my plan is for you to grow. My plan is for you to mature. What you're supposed to do is long for something. You're supposed to desire something. And what is it God says that we are to long for and we're to desire? It says here in verse 2, it's to long for pure spiritual milk. Now, what in the world is that? Well, Peter is using an image for us. This text has a lot of images here. He's using an image, a metaphor for us. Milk here refers to the nourishment we need to grow. The milk here is the nourishment that we need to grow spiritually. Now, if you're familiar with Paul's writings to the Corinthians, you may be thinking, but wait, Paul has said that he rebukes people for only wanting milk and not being ready for solid food. That's a different image. Don't confuse those images together. That's something completely different here. The metaphor that Peter is using for us here is an image for nourishment. Just as a baby needs milk to grow physically, Peter's saying you need something to grow spiritually. And what is the milk we need to grow spiritually? It's the revelation of God himself, the word of God, the scripture, the Bible. It is what we need to feed on to know God, to grow in holiness. Now, friends, this should not be a surprise for us. Think back to two weeks ago, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Remember what he told us, he gave us initially spiritual life? Verse 23, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He's just told us God's word is alive. You have spiritual life. You are a follower of Christ because God's word came to you. You either read it for yourself or someone taught it to you or someone explained to you the gospel message from it. You are a Christian because God sent his word to you and you believed his word. This is part of what we saw last week in Greg's message. Look at verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So your initial spiritual life came through the word of God. So that's where he's carrying on that idea. Remember when Peter writes, there were no chapter breaks. There were no verse breaks here. Those were added later to help us, and we are grateful for those. But don't let the chapter division break the flow of thought here. Back in verse 20, back in verse 23, it says, You've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. Verse 1 now, so therefore, because you have life through the word, because you have it, what is the next command that follows? Verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk. He's saying the word of God created life and you now long for the same word that first gave you life to now sustain your life. The word of God is living. The word of God gave you spiritual life and the word of God is what's going to grow your spiritual life. And so he says long for it, desire it. He's commanding our heart affections to depend on the Lord to grow in longing for the scriptures. That raises the question for us, friends. How exactly do the scriptures change us? If God's plan is for us to grow, and the way that happens is through us longing for the scriptures and reading the scriptures, how does it grow us? Well, that's also here in verse 2 as well. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, this word spiritual is a little bit of a tough word to translate. It's a word that's hard to capture the meaning of in our English translations here. The word in the Greek is actually the word logikos. Does that sound any what familiar to you? Logical, logic. Our English words logic come from this word that we're translating spiritual. He's saying long for the logical, rational word of God. Well, why is he using this word logikos, this word for logic? Because he's pointing us back to our minds. He's showing us that as we long for the words of Scripture, Scripture shapes our thinking. The way the Scriptures grow us in the knowledge of God, the way the Scriptures grow us in holiness is it changes our 
thinking about who God is and who we are and how we are to live. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and transforms our thinking through it. That means, friends, the more we read Scripture, the more we talk about Scripture one another, the more we study it, the more we meditate on it, the more we memorize it, the more we will know who God is the more we will know what it looks like to walk with God, the more we will understand his will for our lives, the more we will find conviction when we fall short of that, the more we will find strength to obey. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God, the logikos of word of God, and says it's your milk, it's what you need to grow. Friends, I've said before, the battle is won or lost in our minds, but whether or not the battle is won or lost in our minds is determined by whether or not our minds are being shaped by Scripture. Please don't miss that. We keep saying the battle in our lives is won or lost in the minds. But whether or not we win or lose that battle in the mind is shaped by whether or not we're letting our minds be shaped by Scripture. And we see this also in Scripture in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your logikos, worship. Same word that we translate spiritual. that same Greek word for logic. Is your logikos, your, your worship, your mind. Verse 2, he carries on. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, how are we transformed so we can worship God? We're transformed by the renewal of your minds. Friends, the battle is won or lost in the mind, and whether or not we win or lose that battle is determined by whether or not the Scriptures are shaping our thinking. So go back to verse 2. God's plan is for us to grow up into salvation. God's plan is for our lives to be transformed as we know who he is, as we walk in holiness. And how do we do that? We do it by longing for the pure spiritual milk, craving the the scriptures, craving the Bible. But what does it look like to actually desire the scriptures? What does it look like to actually long for the word of God? And once again, Peter tells us through an image here. It's a fascinating image he uses for this. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. So he's saying, if you want to know what your desires are like, if you want to have a way to evaluate, am I approaching Scripture, longing for Scripture the way God wants? He says, think about the babies that you know. And if you want to have a reminder of that, we can walk down the hall after the service here. How do the newborn babies long for milk? Four ways newborn babies long for milk. And this is a way that should be an example for us of how we approach Scripture. First of all, a newborn baby longs for milk instinctively instinctively. The baby is alive, the baby feels hunger pains, therefore the baby wants to eat, and the baby lets you know he or she wants to eat, right? None of our babies in the nursery have to have an accountability partner to know it's time to go eat, right? You don't have any kid in the nursery being like, hey, have you, have you had your milk today? Oh, I forgot. Thanks for reminding me. There's an instinctiveness about it because they're living And this is part of the image I think Peter's trying to say is you have life because of the word of God's come to you. You are living now. Find the hunger that God has put in you to crave his word, to want to eat his word because you now know him. So babies want to eat instinctively. Number two, they want to eat eagerly. They want to eat eagerly. There's an eagerness as feeding time approaches. If we did an experiment, which we are not, and we didn't give any of the babies in the nursery bottles this morning or snacks this morning, that eagerness will become very vocal, right? And we probably wouldn't even be able to focus here because we'd hear the eagerness of all the babies in the nursery that are wanting to eat. There's an eagerness of a child to want to eat. Likewise, God's saying, that's the image I want you to catch. I want you to eagerly long for my word to go, I haven't read your word today, God. I want it. Please feed me from your word. So a newborn baby wants to eat instinctively, wants to eat eagerly. Number three, babies want to eat constantly. 
If you see sleepy eyes on some of the young parents in the room, there's a reason for that because the babies want to eat constantly. Even in the middle of the night, even at inconvenient time, the baby wants to eat. And then a few hours later, you're going, you want to eat again? I just fed you. The babies want to eat constantly. Again, God's saying, this is how I want you to view my word. Don't be satisfied eating my word once a week on Sundays. Don't be satisfied only thinking about it occasionally in your small group. Constantly read my word. Be feasting on my word all throughout the day. Don't let it be sporadic. Day by day, feast on the milk of the word of God. So baby wants to eat instinctively, eagerly, constantly. One more. Babies want to eat unashamedly. Have you ever noticed that? A baby's not afraid if you're there. If they're hungry, they will cry and they're ready to be fed even if you are right there. They're not trying to be quiet or discreet. Sometimes I see parents trying to get their kids quiet and discreet. The kid doesn't care. The kid's hungry and the kid wants to eat. They're unashamed and wanting to to get their food. Likewise, God's saying, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed that you need my word. Don't be embarrassed that you need to take some time to do it. Go feast on my word. So like newborn infants long instinctively, long eagerly, long constantly, long unashamedly for the written word of God. And as we do that, it'll make us want it more. And the more we want it, the more we study it. The more we study it, verse 2, we will grow up into salvation. So again, friends, if we're going to take an honest look at our own lives, did we long for the word of God this last week this way? Was there an instinctiveness to where we just got up and we wanted the word of God? Was there an eagerness to where we couldn't wait to read the scriptures, to meditate on the scriptures, to think about the scriptures, to talk about the scriptures? Did we have a constancy of wanting to be in the word and doing it? Were we unashamed and wanting to be dependent on the word of God? Can we describe ourselves as like newborn infants longing for milk in the way you and I approach the word of God? And Peter knows a lot of times we're not like that. I'm not like that, and you're not like that at times. So what do we do if we're not longing for the Scripture in that way? And he tells us. He tells us what to do to stir our desires. Look at verses 2 and 3 of 1 Peter 2. Notice how it flows together. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed. Now let's just pause right there. If indeed. When, when Peter says this, he's not trying to create doubt for you, okay? When Peter says this, he's getting you to pause and think, is this true for me? He's already affirmed for his readers here that they have a love for the Lord, that they have a faith in the Lord. He already sees that in them, but he's getting them to pause and remember something. And likewise, if you have faith in Christ, he's getting you to pause and remember something. And what is it he's getting you to pause and remember? Get back to verse 3. If indeed you have tasted. He's telling you if you've tasted something, The taste is an image here. He's got a lot of images here. This is an image. When you taste something, you come to know it by experience. When we see in Scripture you need to taste something, it's not talking about physical food. It means to experience something so you know it for yourself. So if you've never had a caramel latte, I can do my very best to try to describe for you what it tastes like. This can come up very short. And when you drink your first caramel latte, you will know what I've been attempting to describe to you because you now experience it for yourself. He's saying you have experienced something wonderful. You've tasted it. It's, it's real to you. Now think about it. And what is it he says if your longings for the word of God are not what they need to be, what do you do? You remember something that you've already tasted. You remember something you've experienced it. And what is it? Verse 3, that the Lord is good. He's saying if you are struggling with your heart desires to long for the word in these ways, remember the goodness and the kindness of the Lord. Now, what is the goodness and kindness of the Lord? Look back at the beginning of the book, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, to those who are the recipients of this kindness, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May the goodness and kindness of the Lord be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's saying if you're struggling to find the desire for the word of God, think about those things. Think about your standing before God as elect exiles. Think about how he has set you apart, how he has conformed you. Think about the blessings he have, his grace and peace that is multiplied to you. Think about the inheritance he's promised you, this imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Think about his power that's guarding you and guarding your faith. Think about how you can rejoice in the trials, knowing that he's doing good in them. He's saying, think about all these blessings, Lord. If you're struggling with affections for the word of God, he said, think about those things and remember them and let those stir you to want more. As I was studying on this this week, a strange image came to mind of a practical, real-life example of tasting. I don't know if you ever go to the movie theater, and before the movie starts, the last thing, what do they show? This big bottle of Coke being poured in jumbo view on the big screen, right? And it's not like a little thing. Like they have it enlarged. Like the ice cubes are as big as me on the screen, right? And they pour the Coke, and all of a sudden you see the, the brown liquid going up, and the bubbles are everywhere. And so everyone starts doing they start getting thirsty, now, I don't drink sodas anymore. It's been a long time since I had a Coke. But when I see that, I can almost taste the Coke in my mouth, right? Why? Because I've tasted it before. And when I see the image of that, when I see the bubbles and I hear the fizzing sound of it, it makes me almost recreate the taste. He's saying that's exactly right on the spiritual front here. If you're looking at the Word of God going, you know, God, my desires are not what they need to be. I'm not longing for it like I should. He says, think about the goodness of God to you. Think about what you have experienced before. If you are in Christ, you know peace. You know joy. You've had the experience of being held by God. He said, think about all those things and let those remembrances bring back the taste in your mouth to want to feast on the Word of God. One of the authors I read this week said it so well, it made me stop and think. He said, reading the Bible is addictive when you get the taste of it. Reading the Bible is addictive when we get the taste of it. And I wonder if sometimes it's such a discipline and such a drudgery force because we're missing the taste because we're not feasting on the goodness of God and remembering it. So what happens, friends? As we begin to long more for the word of God, as more we taste, as we remember what God has done for us and we want to taste more of the word of God, as we grow into salvation, what happens? It changes us. It changes us. And that's actually what verse 1 of our text is all about. It's an example that Peter gives us of how the word of God changes us. And it's so interesting because of the many examples Peter could give of how the word of God changes us, He doesn't start with finances. He doesn't start even with sexual purity. He starts with, look at verse 1. So put away. Remember, put away is not a command here. This is a participle. It tells you what happens as you long for the milk, as you grow in salvation. This is what happens. So putting away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. Peter's simply saying, as you long for the word of God, as God grows your desires for it, as you remember all God has done for you and his character and his goodness, the more you find desires for it, the more you say the word, the more you will grow and your life will change. So if we want an indicator of whether or not we are feasting on the word of God, we can look at our lives and say, is my life 
changing. That's why I started with a question earlier. Has your holiness changed this past year? Are there sins that used to grip you that by God's grace you are putting away? Because as we feast on the word of God, it changes us. But why these commands? Why is Peter talking about malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander? Because of what he just commanded. Go back up to verse 22. Remember, there's no chapter break when he wrote this. He said, And having purified your souls by their obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So the previous command before these commands was we are to love one another. Why? Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So he says, if you are a Christian, it's because the word of God has changed you. Now live it out in how you relate in the church. Now he almost perfectly repeats that here in verses 1 and 2. Now go back to this. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, you may grow up into salvation. Notice the parallels here between it. The word of God has changed. You have the living and abiding word of God. So love one another. Now put away all the things that don't love one another as you taste the spiritual milk of the word of God. Why start there? Because the church is that important to God. Our relationships are that important to God. So the example he gives us of what happens as we feast on the word of God, the example he uses is how we as Christians relate to one another. So let's try to bring all that back together this morning from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Here's the main idea of the text I want you to take away with this. You began your spiritual life with the word of God. Now grow your spiritual life with the same word of God. You began your spiritual life with the word of God. Now grow your spiritual life with the same word of God. Friends, if you are a follower of Christ, again, it's because the word of God became real to you. God opened your eyes to it. Someone shared it with you. Someone taught it to you. Someone gave you a Bible. You read it for yourself. But whatever it was, your spiritual life began with the Word of God. And Peter's saying, don't forget it. Focus your mind back on the grace of God. Remember it. Rejoice in it. Reflect on it. Let it stir your heart's longings to want the same Word of God that God has now given you to grow you. Because it's here in the Word of God you learn the character of God, the attributes, like Greg showed us last week. You see God for who he is. You see his will for our lives. We see the conviction of sin where we fall short. We see strength to grow and mature. You begin your life with the word of God. Now grow your spiritual life with the same word of God. In light of that, I want to ask another question as we prepare to close this morning. It's simply this. In light of the other questions we've asked as you think about your knowledge of God, as you think about your holiness, as you think about your desires for the word, is your spiritual life growing? Is my spiritual life growing? Are we, the, are we Peter Pans or Toys R Us kids who maybe know some of the answers but we're become content where we are? Are we a self-directed Christian who's charted our own course of what we want our Christian maturity to look like? Or are we a person who submitted ourselves to the word of God and we've seen how good it is and we feasted on it and it's changing us? Is our spiritual life growing? And with that, we have to ask, how are our longings for the word of God? And if our longings are not for the word of God, what will it take for our longings to be there? You begin your spiritual life with the word of God. Now grow your spiritual life with the same word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your goodness to us. We're grateful that we are recipients of grace, that you looked upon us in our sin and our rebellion, and you turned our hearts to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you that you sent someone to bring the word to us, whether it was a parent or a friend or a teacher or a Sunday school teacher, Lord, you sent someone with the word to us. And Lord, we thank you for that person's obedience to you 
to bring the gospel to each one of us. Lord, thank you that you opened each one of our eyes to the word, that we saw it and it became real to us and we found conviction of sins and we repented and believed. But Lord, you see our hearts and you know how quickly that the very thing that gave us spiritual life becomes something that sits on a shelf or becomes something that becomes drudgery or discipline or that we need help and encouragement to read. Lord, would you in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters stir our hunger for your word. Would you remind us, not just today, but all this week, of your goodness to us, your kindness to us, your grace, your mercy that has been multiplied in our lives. And as we remember you, as we remember your grace, your mercy, I pray it would cause us to want more, that we've tasted and seen, Lord, that you are good. So we ask that you would increase our taste to want to know you even more. Would you forgive us for the places in our lives to where we're like Peter Pan's, who just decided, I don't want to grow up and I'm okay living not mature in these ways? Would you forgive us for the areas of our life where we've tried to self-direct our own growth and we've decided this is what I want my life to look like instead of submitting ourselves to your word? Would you forgive us for those times that we're apathetic towards your word, not hungering, not thirsting for it? And in all of us, would you grow our appetite to know you personally and let that drive us to want to see your revelation of yourself to us? Lord, you are worthy of all this. Lord, you are worthy of us living lives in submission to you, seeking to know you for who you are. You are worthy of us living lives in holiness as an act of worship to you. So would you remind us this week of your greatness, your worth, your bigness, your sovereignty, your goodness. And may it lead us to want to see you, to know you, and to serve you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning, Is He Worthy?
take a minute where you're standing and just pray back to the Lord what you just sung, acknowledging his worth, his glory, his greatness, and thanking him for showing that to you. closing benediction today, I want us to read a scripture out loud together as a reminder to one another of God's word and our need to pursue it and to read it. So I want us to read Psalm 19 verses 7 to 11 out loud. We'll have the words on the screen for you. So Psalm chapter 19 verse 7. Let's say it together. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Father, we ask for much grace this week to live out what we've just read. Would you create in our heart those type desires this week that we might live for you? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.